Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I am your host, Ryan Briganti, and today's episode is going to be checking in with what it was like for me to live through my younger years, going through grade school and middle school. I also want to give you guys a little bit of backstory about my life and how I got to this point for raising awareness and how living with XXY went from a YouTube channel to a website to a nonprofit organization in a quick period of time over the last two and a half years. So diving into a little bit of backstory for y'all of you to understand a little bit more about me and where I came from. So at nine, I was told that I had Kleinfelder syndrome. My parents found out in utero, like a lot of you know, and I just accepted that I was different. I knew something was up. I knew that I really didn't fit in with like the boys that were like chest bumping and doing all that stuff, but I didn't really fit in with the girls. But at the time I didn't like, it wasn't something that I was like aware, like consciously aware of. It was just, I knew I was different and I knew I was awesome in my own ways. And I knew I lived my life viewing the world from a different perspective. And I wasn't going to let people tell me that the way I view life and the way I live my life is wrong or that it should be lived like quote unquote normal or whatever that may be. I was just going to do me. And I learned through life experiences that have helped me kind of live my life for me and not for anybody else. So with that being said, acceptance is definitely one of the most important things with Kleinfelder syndrome is if you're not there yet, working towards acceptance and being, this is you, this is who you are and not letting anybody else judge you or tell you that, you know, you're different or you're this way or you're that way, you know, you don't fit in or whatever that may be. Like you're, you, you finding that acceptance within your own mind that you're awesome in your own ways and no one's going to ever tell you that you can't do something because you have Kleinfelder syndrome. And so that takes me back at 31 years old, which I'm 34, I'm 34 years old now at 31, I was asked to go to a conference from my parents to meet other people with Kleinfelder syndrome. And throughout my younger years of my life, I remember my parents always asking me like, do you want to go to a conference to meet other people that have Kleinfelder syndrome? I was like, no, I'm good. Like just living my life, doing my thing. And I saw, you know, I went into this conference with no judgment, like pure, just open mind. I was a little, um, I had a little bit of anxiety because I just didn't know what to expect, but I just went in with an open mind. And I saw some incredible people. I'm, I'm friends with some incredible people to this day from that conference. I also saw things that I just didn't like. I was like, why? I didn't understand. One of the things I saw is I saw people that were using SSI disability, which I didn't know what SSI disability was until after this conference when I started to Google and do research. And I asked them, you know, why don't you work? And they were like, well, I don't have to work. I can just collect SSI disability. I'm like, well, you can work. And they're like, yeah, I can work, but I don't have to. So I choose to not work. So that was kind of upsetting to me that people were like abusing the system. And then I also met other people that just blatantly told me that they can't do things because they have Kleinfelter syndrome. And to me, I was like, wait a second. Not once in my entire life have I said, 
I can't do that because I have this. Like, that's just not in my vocabulary. That's not who I am. And I was wondering, like, why are you putting yourself down before you even try? Before you even think that you could possibly be good at that, you're automatically telling yourself no because you have this syndrome and this syndrome prevents you from doing that. So I was like just flabbergasted that I was like, whoa, you know. And then I also kind of talked to a bunch of doctors and started learning medical and it was just like doom and gloom and all these issues and all these problems. And I'm just sitting there like I'm 31 years old and yeah, I've had my ring with health problems and stuff, but I've never once attributed all of that those issues to saying like it's because of Kleinfelder syndrome. And I still don't know if some of my health problems are because of that. It's I understand people want to search for answers and they want answers to their issues and their problems because it helps. And I know that that's something that in the future, hopefully our organization will be able to have enough funding to where we can do some amazing research to do like off the wall, different research to find all these amazing qualities that we have and build data with that so we can like help with education and other really cool aspects of life. But now I'm getting distracted in my thoughts because that's just how I am. So I did like three months of research and then I jumped on the Facebook pages and I read Facebook pages for months and it was just like just so much negativity and people fighting with each other over keyboard. You know, I call them keyboard warriors because you're hiding behind a keyboard and you're just pushing your differences on everybody else. And you're not realizing that there's so many similarities. And so I made my first YouTube video and then it just evolved from YouTube to a website living with xxy.com. And then in early in October, kind of over summer, September, October, November of 2019, I just was like, it's time for this advocacy to actually be something bigger. And instead of doing an LLC or trying to make money off of, you know, Kleinfelder syndrome to support my life, to continue to do this, I decided that I would do a nonprofit organization. And in on November 6, 2019, living with XXY became a fully incorporated nonprofit, charitable nonprofit organization, 501c3. And from then on, we've just decided that, hey, we're going to continue to do all these amazing things for our community. And everything is for more awareness, more support, advocacy, and all of that stuff. And I talk about advocacy. So if I knew in high school, in my younger years, what I know now about Kleinfelder syndrome, I would definitely take all that information and go back to those years and educate myself on self-advocacy, like educate myself on what is my blood work? How do I read my testosterone? How do I read all of this stuff? How do I advocate for myself, my feelings, being aware of how I feel and just the aware of, of what helps me and what doesn't. And if I was on medication, which I was for a very short period of time in sixth grade, you know, I look back and I kind of did advocate for myself. I did not like the way it felt. And I kept telling my parents, take me off of this. I don't want to be on this. It's not working. It's not helping, which they actually listened to me and, and they did. So I did, a, I did, I guess I had a little bit of self-advocacy, but I didn't really understand what 
advocacy actually was. And so that's what our nonprofit organization really wants to help with is self-advocacy and taking my life from when I was, you know, younger, I didn't really have any understanding of why things were the way they were because I just was living my life. And it's only up until from now on where I'm like trying to, it's hard for me because I've met so many men and amazing people that have Kleinfelder syndrome and there's so many similarities and I'm sitting back and I'm like, wait a second, like I'm going back into my past and I'm like, could that have been, or do I think this way because of client? And it's very hard for me to say, you know, oh, that in my past or this certain situation is because of Kleinfelder syndrome, because that's just not how I grew up. But in the future, when we have actual data where we can say like, hey, you know, these are like crazy attributes that we've studied and these are things directly in result of Kleinfelder syndrome, then we can all sit there and say, yeah, like we all knew that, but we never really had the data to prove it. And this is, uh, this is definitely hard. This is, uh, you know, it's really hard to sit here and talk to all of you and, and go back into my thoughts and try to pinpoint and piece together my life to explain it to all of you and why I did certain things and where I came from in my life. I know that people are interested and I want to give people a piece of who I was and how I grew up. So first grade for me was definitely a very interesting year. Now I'm going to like break this down into a couple parts. So first grade, I would, I wasn't a huge participator, but when I did participate, I knew I knew the answers. And so I would raise my hand immediately. And my teacher, Miss Jew at the time, she would, she wouldn't pick on me because I didn't really like, I didn't really um, participate. So when I did, you know, she would actually wait and pick on me after the second or third or fourth kid, you know, that didn't know the answer. And I would just forget the answer. And I look back on my life now and, you know, my dad always gives me, he always tells me that like interrupting is like one of the worst traits to have. So in conversation, I interrupt everybody and I'm trying to realize and think about it. Like, why do I do that? And I've kind of come to the conclusion that in my brain, so I like to speak in analogies to help people understand what's going on. If I don't really speak in analogies and I try to tell a story or I try to, you know, get to the point, it's hard for me to get to the point. I ha- I'm so visual and there's so many thoughts and there's so many things going on in my mind that it takes me two, three, four minutes, five minutes to set the scene for people then to get to the point of the story because I have to like be like, oh yeah, and that person had blue shoelaces and they were like checkered and this is what their shoes were and their the trees were like swaying in the wind and the the wind was coming from like the southeast and you know <laughs> you do that with a lot of people and they're gonna be like what is the point where what are you getting at I don't see what you're seeing and so the analogies help me to describe in a very short period of time you know what I'm thinking and get other people to kind of visualize or think of you know trying to get my point across in a really quick period of time. So back to the whole hand raising thing is I think 
with the audio and, and the processing and all that stuff, there's like a, if you have a, so if you have something good to say in a conversation to build on it, or you have a different perspective that other people don't see in that moment of conversation, if you don't say what's on your mind and you don't let go of it, then you completely forget it. And it could have been something amazing or it could have been, you know, a, a, an area where you wanted to incorporate yourself in the conversation and there wasn't really the right time for you. So you just have to say it whenever you say it, whenever you think about it. And I think that that's something that a lot of us have in common. And if you guys that are listening or parents that are listening and you guys kind of have the same common um, situation in that sense, shoot me an email, livingwithxxy at livingwithxxy.org. Let me know how you kind of find those workarounds and those conversations. And, you know, if it's a job interview or something like that, you have to be very like conscious of not interrupting and letting other people talk. But then if you have an answer and you can't hold on to it, how do you hold on to it without, you know, getting your phone out or um, interrupting? And so that was first grade for me. I know that my mom also sat through some of elementary school to watch how I learned to be involved in the classroom to help me later on in life. And then jumping forward. So bullying really probably didn't start until third or fourth grade. And I got bullied in fifth and sixth grade, like nobody's business. So I was like the second tallest kid in the class, super skinny. I had this gap in between my teeth and everybody would call me twang. And I remember coming home from school multiple days crying, just why me, why me? I know my parents um, in middle school or sixth grade, middle school area, they enrolled me in karate and... Uh, karate, you know, trying to give me some self-confidence, self-boost. I see, I see the point of that back then. And I kind of look at it now and, you know, I did, it's not something that I was super interested in and the self-defense aspect, they were hoping probably that I would stick up for myself when it came to the bullies. I did have one friend in all of grade school, pretty much middle school and all the way through high school. His name was Armin Barilotti. He was one of my best friends. If not my, he was my best friend. He was my only friend through, um, or my only really true friend through grade school and middle school. And when we were playing in, uh, during recess, he would stick up for me and say, you know, I'm not playing if Ryan's not playing. And so he would always get me included in stuff. And then, so sixth grade rolls around and it's time. I went to a public, um, grade school. And it's time to now part ways after sixth grade graduation. And Armin went to the public school and I went to a private school. Now, this private school, the kids were in private school from kindergarten through eighth grade all together. And I was coming in in seventh grade. And when I came into the school, it was like a new boy and all of the eighth grade girls this girl named Brittany Fisher and this girl named Karina Correa. I can remember Brittany Fisher was like a girlfriend or what, what was considered a girlfriend back in the day. Um, I had a girlfriend for maybe like a week or two. And then I just didn't, I was like so thrilled and it was so cool. But then I got bullied so much because of it and it just didn't really work out. 
I think it lasted like two weeks maybe. And so eighth, seventh and eighth grade were really brutal for me. Um, there was definitely a lot of physical contact on the basketball court playing in during recess. There was a lot of jealousy, which I didn't realize it was jealousy at the time. But when an older girl likes you and it's a small school and all these people have been together for ever, there's going to be a lot of jealousy there. And then one of the most, one of the biggest moments in eighth grade that I remember that really shaped my future and kind of help me to really not care what people think and just live my life as me was eighth grade. There was this kid named Ryan Bingham and he was, he would always sit to the left of me and we sat up front. I think my parents had me sit up front in class because they knew I learned better and it was part of my IEP, but it also allowed all the kids behind us to like put stuff on us and make fun of us and do things to us without us knowing or being able to see Unfortunately, the teacher was really immature and he would participate in a lot of these things and it being a private school, I guess the regulations for, a, you know, the teacher was right out of school and, and he just wasn't mature enough to be in that situation. So he would jump in with the students and make fun of everybody else or, you know, just do things off to the side that I saw, but, you know, I'm sure not a lot of people, other, other people saw so Ryan was going through, we were all going through puberty and Ryan had some BO. And so all the kids would put air fresheners under his seat. And one day I just had enough of the bullying and I stood up in front of class and I just screamed at everybody. I said, stop bullying me. I'm done. I've had enough. I even looked at the teacher and said, I've had enough. Don't bully me anymore. You know, like, etc. And this one kid that would sit like two seats back and two rows, you know, two rows to my left heckled me after I stood up and I just climbed over the desk, tackled him, pinned him on the ground and just screamed at him in his face with the most rage and anger I've ever felt at tell at that time period. And when I stood up and I looked at the entire class, I'm sure my face told them that it was time, like no more bullying. And I was the one that got in trouble. Of course, my parents got involved the school tried to suspend me, but that didn't happen. And it was about a week of awkwardness after just being weird and all that stuff. And then shortly after, I didn't get bullied ever again in eighth grade. And I think it was pure testament to me sticking up for myself. And I've had enough. Teachers aren't doing anything. My parents can't do enough. It was time for me to take action into my own hands. And it worked. And so after that moment, it kind of taught me the realization that, you know, I don't care what any of these people think about me. I'm going to just be me. And now that I'm not being bullied, I don't care what you think. And I think I've carried that, well, not think, I know I've carried that kind of mentality throughout life because I can dress in these like unmatching ways where I don't even know that my, I, I don't match. And people will look at you and say, like, I remember this moment when I was a photographer, this girl's like, she just judged me on what I was wearing. And I just turned around and kind of gave her the bird and just said, cool, thanks. Like, I appreciate you giving me a positive comment. But that's a little bit about my life and a little bit about grade school and, and middle school. It's 
it's really hard to kind of go back and, and not get lost in my thoughts and try to stay on topic for all of you out there listening that these are moments in my life where, yeah, they sucked and, and being bullied is awful. But was I bullied during those time periods because I had Kleinfelder syndrome? No, I wasn't bullied because of Kleinfelder syndrome. I was just bullied because I was different and I was an easy target. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, advocacy, awareness, acceptance, all of these things that flow into my mind on a regular basis, having lots of conversations with parents and, and guys out there that are worried about what other people will think about them. They're worried about all the negatives, but they don't see all the positives and all the support that the community and their family and friends will give them if they do open up about having Kleinfelter syndrome. And I think that, you know, the, these stigmas are out there. And is it scary to, to face stigmas? Yeah, but if we all can join together and face these stigmas as a community, we're going to have an even better time breaking them down and changing them for future generations. And I am so passionate about raising awareness for Kleinfelter syndrome. I've actually donated the last two and a half years of my life, I haven't had anything as far as financial compensation for what I'm doing because my passion is so fueled by creating change for our community and getting people to realize that, you know, when you look at autism and you look at Down syndrome and where they came from and how their parents advocated for them, it's the same thing with Kleinfelder syndrome. It's a lot harder with Kleinfelder syndrome because we're hiding in plain sight and it's easier to hide behind the diagnosis than it is to open up about it. And it's hard to open up about it. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have Kleinfelder syndrome that are listening right now that contemplate every day, you know, living that double life and understanding we're, you know, not just understanding, but worried about what people will think or what people will say or how their kid will be treated. And I guarantee you that if we come together as a community and we start raising awareness, these stigmas will go away and we will create a new, profound, amazing, like just community. The possibilities are endless. And the more and more people that find out and learn about Kleinfelder syndrome, the more lives that we're going to save from abortion due to misinformation. And the more people that find out about Kleinfelder syndrome, the more people that will be diagnosed right now, only 25% of those with Kleinfelder syndrome will actually be diagnosed at some point in their lifetime. It's my goal in my life to bring that number at some point up to 50% that we can find 50% of the world population to get diagnosed with Kleinfelder syndrome. And what that means is more people find out about it. The more people that get diagnosed, the more help, the more money, the more advocacy comes into the organizations, the more awareness, the more research, the more people will want to be involved in understanding and finding out. And it's just going to create a ripple effect. And then one day, Kleinfelter syndrome will be sitting right next to Down syndrome and autism as far as awareness, understanding, acceptance, empathy, community, just the entire thing. So with that being said, 
I'm not going to bore you guys to death anymore. Um, hopefully you guys have learned something a little bit about me and this coming week we're going to be filming or not filming, but we're recording with my friend Andrew Curry on Thursday. He's going to be talking a little bit about his life and then we're going to just be having a conversation piece about Kleinfelder syndrome and what it's like for him to grow up, be diagnosed later on in life and how he's doing now. And yeah, so make sure you guys check out our social media. Everything is under Living with XXY, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, our websites, livingwithxxy.com, which we're transitioning right now into livingwithxxy.org. There's lots of amazing information out there. And we're going to be doing some contests on Instagram in the upcoming months. So make sure you guys stay tuned and subscribe. And we will talk to you guys all soon. Make sure you smile. Have a great day.